Well, good morning. Okay, let's try that again. Good morning. It is good to see you today. I'm excited to be here. I hope you're excited to be here. I've been sitting down here over in the front row looking up at this little boy right here. Does that not melt your heart or what? That is a gorgeous young man right there. And uh, it kind of, I kind of had a flashback sitting here to our, our time this last year in South Africa. Uh, we were down there with a, a team from here working with the Hunts and uh, working out in a place called Freedom Park, which is one of the most impoverished places there. I mean, it's just hard to describe it for us to completely understand how little they have and uh, how little things are. But we, we went uh, every a couple of the days, we went out and did a, a, a park outreach. A park outreach is this empty field that they play soccer on. And that's the park. And uh, so you're there, and we set up uh, a, the platform that was there and had passed out stuff during the morning so the kids would come. And then some groups had gone out uh, before with some characters and invited all the kids to come. And there were probably, I don't know, 100, 150 kids that come to this <clears throat> park outreach. And we're putting on this program and introducing them to the things of Christ. And uh, giving some prizes and, and some things to them. It's, and it's very uh, kind of exciting. They're all just sitting on the ground around there. And Renee did this thing with them, this little contest, just kind of have some fun. And she had uh, little rulers, and you know, about this long. And uh, she had taped on the end of them, uh, you know, these little containers of Tic Tacs you buy at the store. And so she taped those down on them. And then she would take this ruler, and she brought two kids up, and she put the ruler in their mouth. So they're now biting down on this ruler with Tic Tacs on each side of them. And she opens the Tic Tacs, and here's the game. The game is whoever can shake the Tic Tacs out of their containers first wins the prize. So you got these two little kids up there, and a uh, hundred and some kids watching them, and they say, go. And these kids start just, they can't touch it. they have their hands behind their back. They're just shaking these Tic Tacs all over the, the, the ground and all over the platform. And, and, and then what we didn't anticipate took place. As they are shaking these out on the ground, to us, they're just Tic Tacs on the ground. To these kids, those were prizes on the ground. And the next, I'm standing in the back kind of watching this, and it's fun, and they're all having, and I'm watching, I start to see these kids, and, you know, kind of one dashes up and grabs one, and then another one dashes up, and, and then they rush the stage like a, at a rock concert, <laughs> diving on top of each other to get these Tic Tacs. And I'm standing there watching this, and we're trying to make sure they don't kill each other getting Tic Tacs, and thinking, you know, such a little thing is such a big prize. And we live in such a blessed place. And to whom much is given, much is required. There's a world out there, friends. We can't do everything to take care of all of it, but we can do something. And that's part of what missions is about, is us getting food to people who need food, getting clothes to people who need clothes, getting education to people who ne need education, and most of all, getting Jesus to people who need 
Jesus. And to me, that's really, really exciting. Isn't it to you? I'm glad God allows us to be a part of that. I was sitting over here on the front row again today, and, uh, and Taylor came in. I'd gone by the cafe uh, out here in, in the entryway earlier, and I'd, I'd thrown some money down. I said, hey, I, I want to get a, a bottle of water, and I'm going to get an iced tea for later. I'll come by and get the iced tea later. And apparently I didn't do it fast enough, so Taylor brought it in to me while I'm sitting here on the front row. That is great service. Now, I don't guarantee that for all the rest of you, but I'm grateful for it. <laughs> on Wednesday nights from 5.30 to 7, we have dinner out there. It's $5. And uh, it's always something good. And we come out, and a lot of great fellowship comes on. If you're coming out to equip, come on out and join us for dinner a little bit early. Uh, even if you're in the choir, you can come out and get there before choir practice and join us. And we'd love for you to come and be a part of it. You know, there's a lot of things in life, uh, like somebody bringing me my tea, that, that you could do yourself, but you can have somebody else do it for you too. You know, somebody else can take care of the problem. I mean, you, you, you may not like to mow your yard, and you can hire somebody to mow your yard, right? You, you may not like to wash your car, so you can hire somebody to wash your car. You may not like to trim your toenails. And you can go someplace and pay somebody to trim your toenails and to paint them up real pretty. You may not like to drive places. You can hire a chauffeur. You can hire somebody to drive you around. You may not like decorating your house. You can hire somebody to come in and set up your house and decorate your house. They can set up Christmas decor in your house. You may not like doing laundry. You can pay somebody to do laundry. There are many things in life that if you don't like doing them, you can hire somebody to do them. Or you can convince somebody you love to do them for you. <laughs> However, there are things in life that no matter how much money you have, no matter how famous you are, no matter how powerful you are, no matter how high-ranking in life that you are, that you can only do for yourself. Nobody can take a bath or shower for you. You've got to do it yourself. If you don't, if you hire somebody to do it and say, I need a shower, go take one for me, everybody's going to know. It won't be long until everybody knows he never takes a shower. He said, no, no, I hire a guy to take my shower. It doesn't matter, buddy. You're just not getting done. Yeah, I, I, he goes in there and takes a shower. No, 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 you've got to take a shower for yourself. You've got to eat your own food. Nobody can eat your food for you. You've got to eat it yourself. If, if you need surgery... Guess what? You can't go hire somebody to have surgery for you. If you need it, you've got to have it yourself. You know, if you want to lose weight, oh, I've always wanted this. If you want to lose weight, you can't go to somebody and say, listen, listen, I, I want to pay you so much money. And How much would it cost if you would cut back and not eat quite so much? <laughs> and then come over to my house and put your hand on my shoulder. Just put your hand on my shoulder, and I will absorb all of those calories you cut back on. They will just drain off of me into you, and I'll lose weight. You can't do that, can you? I mean, wouldn't it be nice? Hey, uh, Joe, I'd like for you to, you know, if you'd run three to five miles a day for me and then come over to the house, we'll hold hands for about five minutes, and I will get all of the benefit of you running that three to five miles, and, and I'll pay you to run that three to five miles, and I'll be in better shape. Boy, I, I think some people would take people up on that, don't you? I think there would be a whole industry of guys out there. What are you doing? Oh, I'm running for my clients right now. I'm out, I've got this running business. I go run for my clients, and I go over to their house, 
we hold hands, and they get the benefit of it. And then they give me some cash. That would be a great deal, but no matter how much I want it, no matter how much I wish that was the case, no matter how willing people would be to do a business like that, I still won't get the benefit unless I do it myself. Some things you just have to have or do for yourself. Faith is one of those things. You have to have it for yourself. You have to have faith. You can't rest in somebody else's faith. You're not going to get to heaven because of somebody else's faith. You're not going to make it on your parents' faith. Mom was a great Christian. Good for her. What about you? My dad had real faith in God. Great for dad. What about you? My spouse, man, she, she loves God. Well, you're fortunate. But what about you? See, it, it comes down to this. It comes down to what do you believe? What do you really believe? I mean, what do you really believe that impacts your life? Not what's your tradition. Not what's your family history. Not what's your family background. No. What do you really believe? I mean, really, how, how does it really impact the core convictions of your life and how you see the world? Just because you were confirmed by somebody someplace and went through some classes and they said, yeah, you now know the things you need to know, doesn't mean you have faith. It just means you have some head knowledge of some stuff. And just because you take a class doesn't mean you get it. Just because you claim to be a Christian, that's not the key detail. You can go through the motions all you want, but what's your faith say? How does it impact your emotions? How does it impact your life? How does it impact your actions? Somebody could have, been, could have had you baptized when you were little. Well, they had you baptized. You didn't get baptized. They had you baptized. It wasn't your faith that got you baptized. You could have got baptized you got a little bit older because you heard somebody say you need to get baptized or a bunch of your friends were getting baptized or your parents said you ought to get baptized. And so you went and you got baptized. But was it really your faith? Or did you just kind of go around along with what everybody else was doing and what you were told you were supposed to do? See, it can mean nothing. We can pass out communion and you can take communion and everybody else can be having a faith experience and remembering what Christ has done. And you get in your head and remember, yeah, I know uh, Jesus did this for me, but is it a faith issue in your spirit? You can be an attender of the local church, come every week, be seen as a good member, everybody kind of like you and have no faith at all. Nothing that really changed your life. You're still living the same way, seeing the world the same way, acting the same way, being the same person you've always been. You're just doing things by tradition, not by faith. You can be surrounded by people of faith, and I'll just tell you, it's not good enough. What do you believe to the point that it's impacting your actions? Faith and belief are not completely interchangeable here. A smoker may believe that smoking causes cancer, but keeps smoking. They believe it. Not changing anything. That's not really faith. That's a belief. It's not faith. A guy at a bar may believe that drunk driving is bad, but he also may believe, yeah, but I'm, I'm not like everybody else. I can control, I, I can handle my liquor. And he goes out and drives anyway. A person may believe that there's children around the world that have needs, 
that need food, that need clothing, that need to hear the gospel, they may believe it, and it may not motivate them to do anything about it. Nothing. Just sit there. Yeah. It's nice to watch the videos. But faith doesn't move them to, to, to action. A person may believe that there is a God revealed through Jesus, but simply not want to live the way Jesus says. And so they reconstruct their faith and try to say, well, I, you know, I can live any way I want to live. Biblical faith has an element of surrender in it. It contains not only revelation, not only knowledge, but conviction that stirs in my heart and drives me someplace. Biblical faith makes me give up some things because I suddenly begin to see them as wrong and begins to attract me to other things because they begin to feel like they are right. Biblical faith lives in me, stirs in me, transforms me, gives me hope in the middle of circumstances that seem hopeless, gives me joy on the journey of life, gives me faith and confidence in God so I don't walk in fear. Biblical faith moves in me and grows in me and stirs in me and lives in me because it comes with the power of the Spirit of the living God alive in my life. Biblical faith requires that I own it. Biblical faith is not just a fear of hell. Biblical faith is a revelation of the greatness of God. Biblical faith lets me begin to see the glory of, Je of what Jesus has done for me. It gets real. It gets personal. It's not just a crucifix with Jesus still up on it. It's not just a, a movie that somebody's produced. Now, suddenly, with real faith, it begins to live in me. It's not just, oh, this good thing, that, this good thing or this religious thing that people talk about. It begins to get, come alive in me, and I begin to realize Jesus died for me for my sin, for my actions, for who I am without him. And he's done a work on the cross for me. Jesus did this for me. Biblical faith lets me sense how broken my life is. We call this conviction. It begins to let me sense that. I begin to realize Oh, the way I have acted, the way I have seen things, the way I have treated others, the way I have felt about this world, that is not right. There's, it's wrong. It's broken. I begin to have this conviction in my life that I can no longer excuse away and say, oh, that's really okay. I've got real good reasons for living that way. No, I begin to see Jesus, and it begins to he begins to convict me that I shouldn't be that kind of person. And it begins to draw me to life change. Biblical faith allows me to get a glimpse of the wonder of life in Jesus, of what it would be to have life in Jesus. This morning as I came in the door, one of our young men came up to me and asked me to pray for his family. I said, well, what's going on? Last night, here in Springfield, in a nice neighborhood, somebody broke into a house, this young man's grandparents, Grandpa's 96 years old, demanding money, and beat the 96-year-old grandfather until he got taken to the hospital, ended up getting taken to the hospital with broken ribs. Now, friends, that is just messed up. That any person under any circumstances could beat a 96-year-old man 
in any way, shape, or form, let alone beating bad enough to send him to the hospital. That is just sin worked out. And see, this is what sin does. Sin drives us to selfishness. Sin drives us to this selfishness that if we, if we let it loose, we may just have little glimpses of it in our life now, but when it drives to its end, it comes to these actions that any normal, righteous person with any sense of compassion, any sense of understanding, any sense of love for, uh, for mankind would look at it and instantly, instantly say, I could never do that. That would be wrong. That would be evil. I won't go there. Well, our problem is, is we see this far out action and we recognize it and, and see it. We don't see our actions that hurt people as well. Biblical faith gives me this revelation of the wonder of what Christ offers us, of the wonder of a world where people actually love each other, where people actually care about each other, where we're actually walking in obedience to God's way, and, the way the, and we begin to see a world and the glory of what that world could be like if everybody would be followers of Christ. Biblical faith gives me a glimpse of that, and I want to get into that pool. I want to be a part of that world, a world that treats others rightly and where I get treated rightly because we're based on a right foundation of who Christ is in our life. Biblical faith drives me to that. Biblical faith calls me out of darkness and into the light where I suddenly begin to see things rightly. Has that happened to you? Has it happened to you at this point where you begin to see these old things and these old attitudes and this old spirit and this old nature that lived in you that you sit and go, oh, wow, how could I have ever felt that way or acted that way or believed that way? Because you're being called into being a person in the light of Christ that sees people differently. If it has, then you will know a spiritual hunger to be changed. This isn't the person who comes and sits in the church and wants to soothe their conscience by being a church attender and go out and live the way they've always lived. This is a person who comes in, has a revelation of God, and says, I need to be a changed person. And they get hungry to be changed. They desire change in their life. You see, to have a relationship with God, it begins with this kind of faith. It's not a faith of the crowds that say, feed me, serve me, entertain me. It's not a faith of, the, of tradition that says, oh, we've always done it this way. We've always lived this way. I'm good enough. And, you know, if you had the tradition I have, you'd be good enough too. It's not a faith of fear that just says, how far do I have to, be, to do good to be good enough to get in? Biblical faith believe, begins with this revelation of God in your spirit, and you begin to see the world through a new lens. You begin to see the way you're going to react in the world in a new way because of the work of God that is uh, alive inside of your spirit. And it begins to transform from the inside out your reaction to the world. And you're not looking for excuses to keep back in the darkness. You're looking for the ways to get out of the darkness and live in the light. Faith in my spirit says God exists and he rewards those who seek him. 
And it sets me on this course of saying, I want to know his word. I want to discover more about him because I, I want to walk in the presence of this God who rewards those who seek him. Faith says that God loved the world and sent his son Jesus into the world that whoever believes in him, puts their trust in him, will find eternal life. I want to find eternal life. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. Faith says that when Jesus promised us life to the full, that he can deliver. And it may not make sense to my flesh. It may go against my, my personal desires. My flesh may kick against it. But Jesus said, this is the way to life to the full. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to give those things up. I'm going to walk away from those things. I'm going to live the way Jesus told me to live. I'm going to take on the nature Jesus told me to take on. Because that's the way to life to the full. Faith says, and accepts the claim that Jesus paid for my sin on Calvary and that I can rest in him. Faith says that if I confess my sin and call on his name, I will be saved. And I want to tell you, nobody can do that for you. Faith is personal between you and God. <laughs> and when we say that we have faith, but we, 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 we ignore the Bible? We ignore the instructions of the Bible? We excuse them away and we say, oh, God will understand when I don't follow this directive. God will get it when, uh, you know, I continue this way. God, God, God knows why I hate that guy. God, God gets it when I lie about this. He'd lie too. If he's in the same circumstance. God, 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 God's patient with my immorality. God's patient with my greed. And, you know, God understands my selfishness. Yeah, he, he understands. He understands that we don't really have faith. That we trust ourselves more than we trust him. So Peter reminds us that real faith, uh, that real life in Christ begins with faith. This is fundamental. This is the, the bottom line. This is where everything starts. When I look at my life and, and I take on this word of faith that says, you know what? I don't trust myself anymore. I don't trust what I'm thinking anymore. I'm putting my faith in Jesus to rule and direct my life, and I'm going to seek him to show me how to live, how to feel, how to think, how to act. I'm going to learn how to think. I'm going to learn how to feel. I'm going to learn how to act by what Jesus tells me and not what my flesh tells me. That's the fundamental first step of faith, to believe in him, and it drives me to action. That faith calls us, as we've looked these last several weeks, to a virtuous life, a life that is pleasing to God, living in the character of God. Faith calls me to desire more knowledge because now I believe that Jesus' way is the best way. I want to know more about his way. I want to learn. Faith empowers me to be self-controlled, to say, you know what? I know my flesh says this. I know my emotions say this. But I'm going to resist that. I'm going to be self-controlled because the power of the living Spirit of God is within me and I know His way is the right way. Faith calls me and gives me the power to be steadfast in response when things in life are tough, when I don't understand what's going on. 
And when I come to this place where I'm not living by circumstances, I'm living by faith, and I'm not running around all the time going, why is this happening to me? I walk around all the time saying, God, I know you've got your hand on my life. Ultimately, ultimately, faith impacts my motives. Stirs in my motives. The first evident motive changed in me is when I stop living to please myself and start living to please God. That's the first thing where my motives begin to really get changed. I've had faith in God. He's working in my life. We call this godliness. Motive is connected to the cause of my actions. If I say something to really hurt somebody, we can tie that back to my motive and my desire to call them pain, cause them pain. My, my faith, my actions can be tied to my motives. If there's a position in life that I want and somebody's in the way of it, all of a sudden I begin to see them different because my motive is to get what I want. Tonight, if you're into football at all, you know that there's going to be this game on tonight. It's a little game on tonight. Every guy playing in this game, every one of them, have put in hours of painful work, self-sacrifice, trying to whip their bodies into shape, get their bodies stronger, get their, develop, develop their skills, become more powerful because they have one motive. They want to win this game. I guarantee you, you're not going to walk, walk into any one of those locker rooms, walk up into any of those guys, coaches, assistant coaches, players, and say, how do you feel about the outcome of the game? And then go, you know what, I'm really not too worried about it. It's just whatever happens, happens. They're not going to be one of those. Every one of them are motivated with a desire to win. Our motives can be good motives. Our motives can be bad motives. And when our motives are rooted in selfishness, it's going to cause pain in our lives. Motives stir us to good ways and bad ways, but at the center of all the world's pain is selfish motive. However, at the center of healing, of healing the world, is the most selfless action of all, Jesus coming in love for us. This man, whoever he was, that broke into this old couple's home and beat them last night, that comes from the most selfish of motives. That's a picture of how we live without Christ, with our motives unchecked. Jesus is a picture of one who's in heaven, who doesn't have to come, doesn't have to give himself, but because he loves us, comes and gives himself so that we can be changed. This selfless act of love is the most powerful thing that's ever happened for mankind. And that's at the center of all the healing of the world. The God-centered motive is something we can judge, but not something we can always create. I can judge this in my life. I, I know in my life when my actions are motivated by godliness, and I know when my, my flesh is stirred up and my actions are motivated by something I want and I want for myself. Now, I've, I've been in this thing long enough that I've, I've got more control over that than I had years ago. But we've got to work in that to grow in that. 
The, the pure motive of pleasing God comes through faith and through living and adding to our faith the things that Peter's talking about. When we begin to try to live the virtuous life and we begin to try to do what is, what, what, live in the character of God, we begin to see the wisdom of God's way. When we grow in the knowledge of God and we add knowledge to our life, again, it begins to reveal to us, wow, if everybody did this, if everybody lived this way, the world would be a better place. As we begin to exercise uh, the spirit of self-control and being steadfast, the endurance proves itself to be true. And in those things, listen, in those things as we do them, as we Live, try to live the virtuous life as we grow in knowledge, as we become self-controlled, as we put on steadfastness and a right spirit of steadfastness. They naturally destroy selfishness within us. It's why God lets us go through these things. It's why we have C2 groups and starting point and equip so we can learn. God gives us some things in our life to destroy selfishness. He allows trouble to come into our life so that we will put aside selfishness, live in endurance, live a life of steadfastness, that we will trust Him, that we will grow in our faith so that the divine nature will take hold within us. He lets us go through trials. He calls us to be servants. He calls us to be givers. He calls us to be generous because in the middle of all of this, as we do that and we sense the pleasure of God, we sense the results of, of godly living and doing things God's way, guess what happens? It builds inside of us a right motive and destroys selfishness. But we've got to walk down through this. So I, I have to be this person who desires for my spirit to be checked in me, that desires for the spirit to speak to me and to check me, that for my motives to see, to be seen clearly by myself and my decisions, that if I'm selfish, I can see it. If I'm God-centered, that I see it. And when I'm being selfish, I've got to cry out, God, help me to be steadfast help me to endure, help me to be self-controlled. I know the difference. Help me to live in you instead of in me. i got to take this battle on. And as that develops in my life, as I live to live a life pleasing to God, a second evident motive change happens in my life. And here's where it's happened. It happens when I grow in my relationship with others, with other believers. We call this brotherly affection. Occasionally someone will say, I don't need the church to be a Christian. I say, well, maybe not. For me, it's not a matter of need. It's a matter of want. Because when your motives are right, church isn't about showing up once a week. Church isn't about us, you know, doing. Church is about the body of believers. Again, yeah, it's why C2 groups are so important. It's why getting involved with other people is so important. So that the selfish motives life, you begin to grow in empathy towards others. You begin to grow in compassion towards others. You learn to rejoice when others rejoice and mourn when others mourn. And there begins to become this connection of, of, of brotherly love. See, I, I want to tell you, I don't have to be around my kids. I don't have to be around my grandkids to be a dad or to be a grandpa. I don't have to, I don't have to be around them at all. But I want to be. I want to be around them. 
Now, I'm telling you, when you meet somebody and they're looking at you and they're saying, I don't need the church to be a Christian. What, all of that is rooted in selfishness. All of that's rooted in, I don't have brotherly affection, which is selfish at its core. Now, if you tell them that, they're going to get mad at you. You know why? Because they're selfish. They're not going to receive correction. They're not going to be open to what another person thinks. Their mind's going to be closed to it. There's a natural affection inside the body of Christ that happens when people of active faith get together. When people of active faith get together, there's this natural draw. I, I don't care where I go in the world. When I find myself sitting in a room with people that I can p speak to or people who I don't know their language and they don't know mine, if you're sitting in a room with a group of people and they're worshiping God or you're sitting in a room of people that love God, it's not long till you begin to sense a, an affection towards them and they begin to sense an affection towards you because it's natural that faith connects to faith, that spirit connects to spirit. Now let me just tell you, the church is a spiritual family, and don't be confused, families are messy. You know, people are, people are different, we are different ages. If, if, if you can say to me, I've been in church, I'm, I'm a churchgoer, but I have never been hurt by another church member, I would say you have not gone to church enough. If you go to church enough, somebody's going to hurt your feelings, somebody's going to say something you don't like, somebody's going to mistreat you because we're people of all kinds of different ages and different places of growth, and people are going to say things. Listen, when my kids were little, there was a different dynamic in the house than when Renee and I are there alone. It was different. It wasn't wrong. It was just different. When the grandkids come over to my house now, the, at, the atmosphere in our house changes the second they walk in the door. There's a different dynamic going on. Yesterday, uh, you know, the boys came over, and Ollie was there. He's our three-year-old. And uh, I'm watching TV. It's my day off, you know. I'm watching TV. This is Friday, so I'm watching TV, just sitting there. And I, I folded the laundry. I've been sitting there folding laundry watching TV. And the laundry is all, the folded is on this chest between the couch and the TV. Folded on the couch, on the, on the chest between the couch and the TV. For some reason, for a three-year-old, that is a target. There is just something so enticing about that and he immediately walks over to the chest and starts pushing all of the folded laundry off onto the floor. And I'm like, whoa, 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 grandson, what, what, what are you doing? And he's just delighted pushing it all off. What? I just folded it. It was all neat. It was all ready to go up into the upstairs. And he's just having a big time laughing, pushing the laundry off onto the floor. When he gets done, he goes over into all the laundry that's down on the floor, and he pulls out a pair of socks. And he comes up, and he jumps on the couch with me. I'm just, I'm just trying to watch TV. I'm minding my own business. 
I'm minding my, I'm just trying to watch TV on my day off, just trying to watch a couple shows. And he comes over and he decides that the socks are blindfolds. And so he decides to blindfold Pappy with the socks. So now I'm trying to watch TV with a three-year-old laughing and giggling, putting socks over my eyes. Now, now let me tell you, I didn't get mad. I, I didn't get angry. In my mind, I know he's far more important than the TV show I'm watching. He just, he's, a, he's three-year-old in the family. So I grab him and throw him on the couch, and I wrap his head in socks. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, here we go, buddy. Let's try this on. Now, if one of you came up to me and tried to wrap my head in socks, I think we'd have a different discussion. <laughs> He's a three-year-old, right? And it means the world changes a little bit. If it's somebody else, if you came into my house and took all my clothes and threw them off on the, the ground that were folded up, I'd say, what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, you, you ought to pick those up. I mean, you ought to fold those up back up. If a 15-year-old do it, did it, I'd say, you've got to fold those back up. <laughs> he's a three-year-old. I'm going to enjoy him being a three-year-old because someday he's going to be a 15-year-old. We're going to have a whole other set of problems then. Are you with me? See, you've got to understand that in the family, in the body of Christ, there's people of all ages. And listen, it's easy when it's your physical family because three-year-olds walk around and look like three-year-olds. In the body of Christ, they may look like an 80-year-old. They may look like a 55-year-old. And they're acting like a 3-year-old. But the call of the Christian is towards brotherly affection. It's for caring for each other. If there are people in the body that you, you could say, you can look around the room and go, I'm glad I'm sitting on this side because I don't like that guy. Or you're sitting and saying, they're, they're weird, they annoy me. The problem isn't them. The problem isn't them. There's a big difference between I don't like that guy and, you know, I don't like the way they act sometimes. That kind of drives me a little bit crazy. Dislike is a corruption of the spirit. The divine nature is about me overcoming the corruption of the spirit. Brotherly affection is a part of the divine nature that allows me to be in the family of God and to walk with maturity in the family of God even when there are others who aren't quite there yet. This doesn't mean we accept every action. My three-year-old later, Oliver later, uh, in, the, in the, the day found uh, Michael had hurt his knee earlier this year and he had some crutches in the house. Uh, Ollie found one of those crutches, and he's walking through the house, a three-year-old with a crutch twice as tall as he is, with it under his arm, walking through the house. Now, what I'm seeing is him turning and knocking vases off of things and knocking lamps over and knocking the hitting the TV, and I'm seeing destruction coming. He's just having a good time. But I had to look at him at some point in time and say, Oliver, come over here, give, give, put the crutch down, put the crutch down. I uh, know. Yes, yes, you're going to put the crutch down. No, no, yes, you're going to give us the crutch. And finally, his dad came in. His dad took the crutch away from him. See, you don't put up with everything. 
But you put up with a lot of stuff because it's just fun. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like Ollie. That doesn't mean I'm not going to hang around with him. No, I'm going to hang out with him all the more. Are you with me today? So I get, y'all look in your heart and say, do I have brotherly affection? Brotherly affection, you know, when, 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 when you know, one of our kids calls and say, hey, can, you know, can Hattie come over or can the boys come over? Or can they? The, the answer, unless we have something else that's in the way, the answer is always yes. Because we want that to happen. And when we have brotherly affection, we want to get together. Brotherly affection sees others with patience. Hear me. We see ourselves through the microscope of scrutiny. We examine our personal lives. This is where the world has it backwards. The world has, its ba- has it back. We, we say, nope, whatever you feel like doing, however you feel, that's who you are. Just live that way. Just go for it. Just live any way you feel like living. And I'll judge everybody else if they don't accept you. They don't receive that. We got it just backwards. Where the microscope of scrutiny has got to be on is on us. We see ourselves through the microscope of scrutiny. We see others through the lens of grace and the lens of mercy. We're patient with others. We're understanding of others. As this begins to happen in our life, as we do this naturally because we're living a life that, that we want to do what God would have us to do and live the way God would have us to live, and as we grow in brotherly affection, this develops in us the third evident motive, that ch- motive change dealing with how we see the world. We call this love. There's several words in the Bible for love. And, and some of them deal with emotional love and how we emotionally feel attracted to each other. Some deal with a more sensual aspect of love. Phileo, Philadelphia, deals with brotherly love. The word used here is agape. Agape is the, is the word that's described at the end of this, this writing of Peter's. And if you want to take agape and really boil it down to its most simplest of terms to really understand it. You get the concept of agape when you understand this. This is the desire. This is the choice of wanting the best for others. I believe it is the most life-changing thing God does in our life and would be the most life-changing thing in the world if people adopted it. If every ruler, if every king, if every president, if every politician, if every judge, if every person living on every street, on every city in, in, in the United States or around the world suddenly began to live under this desire of wanting the best for other people and understanding their role in helping them get the best and doing the best, boy, a lot of crime would clear up, a lot of pain would clear up, a lot of abuse would clear up, it would all clear up overnight if we begin to live with agape, when we start seeing people, all people, the good, the bad, every color, every shape, every mentality, every, every emotional person with a spirit of agape wanting the best for them, can you imagine a world like that? God can. He calls us to it. A type of love that makes sacrifice feel right, righteous, instead of resented. 
that makes us want to give of ourselves and be patient. It's a type of love that is patient with the grouchy neighbor. It's a type of love that continues to serve in the middle of tough family situation. It's the call to agape the world that, that, that makes the church extend loving hands all around the world because we want the best for others. That starts with them knowing who Jesus is and serves them. Agape is a sacrificial love choice that I'm not living for myself. I'm not motivated by what I try to get from me. I am motivated by a love to to be pleasing to God, by a brotherly affection for my brothers and sisters in the body, and by agape for the world that wants the best for them. This is the kind of love that Jesus offered us when he came to the earth for us. I try to imagine it sometimes. Wow, what a world that would be, huh? Where everybody was living, trying to please God, had brotherly affection that was patient with others. And where we wanted the best for others. John Lennon, years ago, from the Beatles, wrote a song, Imagine. And, uh, and I've, tried, I've tried to do that. I've looked at his song, the words of that song many times, and I try to imagine the world he's talking about. And it's confusing to me. It starts off with, imagine there is no heaven. I try to imagine that. This is all there is. This is the best that it gets. There's no heaven. You live, you have a few hours of existence and consciousness. And someday you die, and it's over. When your loved ones die, you're never going to see them again. When tragedy happens, there's no reconciliation of it. I try to imagine that world sometimes, and I don't like it too much. He goes and goes, uh, goes on and says, imagine all people living for today. And I think that's not hard to imagine. That's exactly what's going on today. People everywhere are filled with the selfishness. They're living for today. They're trying to get everything they can for this moment. He, he kind of gets close later. He says, imagine there's no countries. It's not, it's not hard to do. Nothing to live or, and die for. And I go, oh, now, now you've lost me. I mean, a life without anything to live for? See, I, I believe in heaven there's going to be things to live for. I think God, God is always, from the very creation of man, God gave man jobs. He gave us stuff to do that was important. And I believe that in heaven, there's going to be things to do. I believe there's a sense in us that we want our lives to be meaningful. We'll talk more about this next week. We want our lives to have some purpose. Nothing to live for. Now I can imagine the other side of it, where people's motives are so right, where people are trying to please God and they have brotherly affection and they love, that there's nothing we have to give ourselves to die for. Now, that's a good picture. That's a good picture. He's close. But I don't think I want the life with nothing to live for. And I think I want heaven. I want to be there. And he talks about there being no religion. John Lennon had a thought, but he couldn't, he didn't quite get there. No, life is worth living for. Christianity is worth discovering. There's a world that Jesus paints for us that's one. When Jesus came to this earth, he loved us, but he had no intention of leaving us as we were. 
He calls us to be changed and be part of changing a broken world. Life by life, home by home, new motives growing in us, a life being lived to please God with righteous affection for others, with a love for others that drives out selfishness, that drives sin, and brings us to a place where we become a light in the world, a community of believers by community of believers, bringing light to the world that as we live to please God, as we grow in affection with others, as we grow in active an act of love for mankind, that we bring light into the darkness. We make a difference in the world, that the life that we live becomes attractive to them. They become drawn to it until they see and sense the conviction of living faith, and faith becomes personal to them, and they begin the journey of being transformed into the image of Christ, and the world becomes changed. Does that resonate with your spirit? Are you ready to say yes to the work of Jesus in your life? Are you ready to say, all right, God, I want you to drive out selfish motive. I want you to take all the selfishness out. I want, you to, I want my words to be pleasing to you. I want my actions to be pleasing to you. I, I want to have righteous affection for others that I'm not driven by my own selfish comforts. I want to have a righteous love for others that I do what I can to make a difference in the world. Are you ready to sign up for that? Because that's what Peter's calling us to. That's what the Holy Spirit is calling us to. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, come into my kingdom and let us live differently than this world. Let our motives be different from this world. And let us be world changers. Jesus didn't leave the church here to hold on. He left the church here to transform the world of darkness into a city of light. And that's what every one of us are called to be a part of. Are you ready to sign up for that? But remember, friends, this is a choice only you can make. No one can make it for you. No one can make it for you. But when you step up and you say, God, I want to live pleasing to you. God, I'm going to check my spirit. When I sense the selfish spirit that makes me dislike others, I'm going to call it into check and ask for your healing to come into me. And I'm going to begin to live in brotherly affection to others. And God, when I see a world that is lost, I'm not going to let hate grow in my heart. I'm going to let love grow in my heart. And I'm going to ask you what's my role in making a difference in the world. That, friend, is the divine nature. That's what God wants for you. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment? Allow the Spirit to pour His spotlight on your soul. Father, right now, help us to look back over the past week. Father, the words of our mouth. Did we have words that encouraged others this week? Did we have words that built others this week? Did we spread life to others? Our Father, were our words out of the corrupt nature of selfishness that hurt others? Father, let us look into the actions of our life. Were our actions this week actions that built others' lives up and strengthened others? Were they pleasing to you? 
Or are we led by a corrupt spirit doing things that were not pleasing to you? Doing things that harmed others? Father, as believers today, as people of faith, let living faith be in every one of us. And let us let the spotlight of your spirit pour out into us individually with great scrutiny of our lives. So that, Father, we can live righteously before you and be a part of the divine nature and not the corrupt nature. So right now, Father, all across this room, speak to your sons and your daughters. In the middle of our troubles, in the middle of our trials, in the places where we're called to be self-controlled, let our spirits be checked. And let us live to be pleasing to you. Call us to you, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us imagine a world living in the divine nature. And let us be a part of bringing that nature to bear in the world we live in today. In Jesus' name. Is every head, is about every eye closed. All of this begins with a moment in time in your life. Remember, this has to be personal. This isn't about your parents' faith. It's not about a friend's faith. It's about your faith. It's about whether you believe Jesus is the Son of God or not, and you put your faith in Him and ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior. There comes a moment in time when you have to make that choice, where you have to sit and say, yep, I see that I'm living in darkness. I see that I need Jesus in my life today. I see that I need Him for eternity. And today, I'm going to surrender my selfish will to His divine nature. I'm going to surrender my fears to faith in Him. I'm going to put my trust in Him to be my Savior and to be my Lord. No one can do that for you. Only you can do that for yourself. You'll say, today, Pastor, I want to take that step I want to ask Christ to be the Lord of my life. I want Him to rule and direct my life. I'm willing to give up myself and follow Him. I'm going to trust Him to be my Savior. And I need to start today, right now. So every head's bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around, me and the Lord right now. Just say, Pastor, that's me. I'm taking a step right now. So once you raise your hand, say, Pastor, pray for me right now in Jesus' name. God bless you. I see that hand, and that hand, and that hand, and that hand. God bless you. Others today, you'll look around this room. As I look around this room, we raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want to make this step of faith. Anyone else today? God bless you. Anyone else this morning? You want to make sure your life is right with God. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down to the front. While the prayer teams are coming down, let's pray this prayer together. And if you were one to just raise your hand, you just pray. The Bible says if we call on the name of the Lord that we will be saved. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to call on the name of the, name of the Lord and ask Him to do a work inside of our lives. So let's pray. Father, I come to you.
I call upon your name today. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I put my trust in him to be my Lord. Now I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, friend, if you raised your hand for that today, I want to just say this is, a, this is the greatest eternal moment in your life. We want to help you on that journey. We want to encourage you on that journey. Just a minute. Other people are going to be coming down here for prayer. People who have health issues or other issues in their life, they just want God to move in their life. As others are coming, I want to encourage you. If you just raise your hand, you come as well. Maybe you ask a friend to come with you, standing next to you. It doesn't matter. Just come on down. They're going to pray with you. They're going to encourage you to go through starting point and do, do some things. We're going to help you in this journey because the enemy's going to try to rob this out of your life. Don't let him do that. Don't let him steal from you. You step out, you come, and let somebody pray with you today. We're thrilled for you. Every one of us who are born again have made this kind of step in our life where we've asked him to come into our life, where we've prayed with others, where we've begun our journey of faith. So wherever you at, whatever stage of life you're, step out, come down, let somebody pray with you for a minute, and just begin to let this journey begin in your life today. Amen? If you have any other need, you come. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know God loves you. I want to call you. Let's love the world. Let's love Jesus. Let's love each other. Let's love each other with agape love that wants the best for each other. And we want the best is for each other. Jesus is the best for each other. Amen? Amen. You come down to me.